0: They say, they go to ask his parents, even though he's sitting there saying, yes, it's me, I'm that guy, I really it's really me. They don't believe him. And they say, hey, is this your son? And his parents are like, yeah, that's our son. And yeah, he was born blind, but we don't know what just happened here. We don't know how he became able to see, so you should ask him. Now they can't say, his parents here can't say that Jesus healed him because if they say that, They might be saying Jesus is the Messiah and they already made a rule that you can't say Jesus is the Messiah or they'll get kicked out of the synagogue. In 1990, so not that long ago, um, the United States passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, as you might have known it being referred to, which prohibits discrimination based on disability. The ADA also requires employers to provide reasonable accommodations to employees with disabilities, and lists accessibility requirements on public accommodations. If you're like me and can't believe this was only passed in 1990, no worries. Uh, If you go look it up, you'll see the date is correct, and then your shock at that year will be quickly surpassed by the shock and dismay at the one group that fought for and won exemptions for these accessibility requirements. Anyone guess? Churches, yay! Hey. Neat. So, with that in mind, I want to start this morning with a reminder that this story in front of us today is not about fixing a problem. It's not about healing a disability because that disability was something that needed changing. This story is about community and how, despite what we might think, it's our communities and our systems that are the ones in need of fixing and healing, not people, never people. One of the disability activists I have learned a lot from is Amy Kenney. She is the author of a gorgeous book called My Body Is Not a Prayer Request, which I highly recommend. And her work and words have informed a lot of my preaching today, so I wanna give her full credit. In an interview with author and pastor Pete Enns, Amy said that disability has always kind of been a problem with a lot of church spaces, thinking that disability is something needing to be eradicated, erased, or cured. She said, my disabled body bears the image of God and does not need to be fixed or changed or cured. So this is what I want to have in front of us this morning first, before we go any further into this story. My disabled body bears the image of God and does not need to be fixed or changed or cured. Just hold that for a moment, hear it, let it sink in with your breath, and then let's go on. Some additional details to have in front of us before we really get into this long story. John's ninth chapter, though it is long, was not supposed to fly solo. It's a part of a larger story about discipleship that starts at chapter nine and goes through chapter 10. Aren't you so thankful we stopped where we stopped? When you read it this full way, you realize the story is not about a miraculous healing, nor is it even about blindness, but it's really about hearing. And in John's gospel, hearing is almost always synonymous with being in a relationship, which means this section is actually about discipleship, being in relationship with God. How do we know this? Well, if it was about healing of this one particular person, the story would end at verse 7, which, as you all experienced, it does not. It goes all the way through verse 41 and into chapter 10. Chapter nine goes all the way to 41, like I said. So it has to be about more than the healing, or we would stop, it would be done. We would finish at verse seven. So this is how we know, scholars, everybody agrees. I have professors at seminary who would say, never end chapter nine at verse 41, always go into chapter 10. Don't end it there, you miss the whole story. And yet we ended it there. But I'll tell you what happens in 10, don't worry, we're not gonna leave you hanging. So the story begins, Jesus walks along, he sees a man blind from birth, his disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Whoa, loaded question, right off the bat. We learn very quickly in this story the commonly held belief of the disciples by what they ask here. First, we learn they believe blindness is a punishment for sin, or disability of any kind is a punishment for sin. And second, we learn that the sin was either perpetrated by the blind man or his parents. Again, neat. I have some questions if this is the case. How does a baby sin before they're born? Anybody Anybody know? If it's the man's sin that caused his blindness and he's been blind since birth, did he sin while in utero? I have a lot of questions about what this means. Doesn't really make sense to me. And are also those the only two options we have in front of us, just him or his parents being the problem that feels awful either way, right? Parenting is hard enough as it is. When talking about this story, our activist again, author Amy Kenney, said it's easy to dismiss the disciples as the villains here, but they surely think they are being faithful to a common theology inherited from Leviticus. They are not excluding him for the sake of excluding like mean girls, but want to remain faithful to their notions of who is in and who is out. In their minds, it is so much simpler if there's a near conflation of sin and disability. Thank goodness that for once, for once, Jesus answers their question clearly. Neither, he says. He doesn't even hesitate. He just says, Neither of them sinned. Sin is not the problem here. All the disciples see is the perceived sin, and all Jesus sees is the person worthy of being seen. Jesus says, in fact, his disability is how you will learn how God works. Again, Amy Kenny says, what a powerful, subversive statement. Disability helps reveal the light of the world to people who think of themselves as holier than disabled people. Disability unveils God's work to the community if only people are willing to receive it. And then in a moment of absolute grossness, the thought of this makes me gag in my mouth just a little bit. Jesus makes mud with spit, uh, and, and then rubs it on the guy's face. I find this so gross. I literally cannot think about it that long. I'm like, oh, ugh, ugh. He rubs it on the man's face. Also the dirt that they're walking on, so this isn't like clean dirt. I mean, not that dirt is clean, but it's, not, it's got like animal stuff in it and they've been walking on it all day and everybody's just, it's gross. All of this is gross. He rubs it on the man's face, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man does, and he comes back to the city gate able to see. And now begins the series of conversations between the man and everybody else. Notice, from this moment until the very end of chapter 9, Jesus is not here. He has gone away already. The man never saw him. All he did was hear him. Uh so he leaves, not even sticking around to see the miracle in action, right? And the conversations begin. The neighbors, who only know him as the blind beggar outside of the temple gates, see him and ask each other, is this the same guy that we always saw outside of the city gates? And the guy's like, yep, it's me, same guy. And they're like, no, 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 it must be somebody that looks like him and just not blind, though. And the guy's like, no, it's me. It's really, It's really me, guys. I promise. It's me. And they say, well, if it's you, how did it happen? And then he tells the story. This guy named Jesus made mud. Notice how he left out the spit detail, which is the detail I would also leave out if I were telling the story, but that's fine. uh he spread it on my eyes and then said, "Go to Siloam and wash, and I did, and I could see. So the people bring him to the Pharisees, because this is a miracle, and so you need the religious people to okay it, right? So they bring him to the Pharisees. Maybe Jesus is the real deal. And the Pharisees say, well, how did this happen? And he says the same thing. Do you notice how many times this guy told the same story to people who did not believe him? He put mud on my eyes, and then I washed, and now I see it. It got a little shorter this next time. Did you notice in the telling of the story what the Pharisees, the religious folks, got stuck on? Not that Jesus healed, but he did it on the wrong day. He did it on the Sabbath. How dare he? therefore Jesus can't be from God because everyone from God would follow all the rules. Obviously he healed someone on the Sabbath, which is not allowed, therefore Jesus is not the Messiah because the Messiah would for sure follow all the rules. And so because they can't get past this one part, they go back to the first argument, which is this must not actually be the same guy who had been begging, so let's prove it, let's get his parents this is truly wild to me. <laughs> they say, they go to ask his parents, even though he's sitting there saying, yes, it's me. I'm that guy. I really, it's really me. They don't believe him. And they say, hey, is this your son? And his parents are like, yeah, that's our son. And yeah, he was born blind, but we don't know what just happened here. We don't know how he became able to see, so you should ask him. Now, they can't say, his parents here can't say that Jesus healed him because if they say that, they might be saying Jesus is the Messiah and they already made a rule that you can't say Jesus is the Messiah or they'll get kicked out of the synagogue. And while that might not seem like a big deal to us today, there are literally churches around every corner. You just go to another church if you get kicked out of this one, right? Being removed from the synagogue was a full removal of community. They were out. So out of fear, they absolve themselves of responsibility, pass it back to their son, who again has been saying he's healed and Jesus did it. He's been saying it for a while now. So the Pharisees go back to the man and they say, okay, give God credit for healing you because he healed you on the Sabbath, so he's obviously a sinner. And the man is like, listen, guys, I don't know what you're talking about, except that I was blind and now I'm not blind. That's the thing I know for sure. And they say, yes, but how? <laughs> and this is when things get interesting, I think. If the drama up to this point wasn't enough, you, you can, this story is so visceral, you can feel it and see it and hear it, it's lovely. But this is where it really ramps up because this man has had enough. And who can blame him, right? He says, I already told you. I told you and you did not listen. Why do you wanna hear it again? Do you also wanna be a disciple of Jesus? Woo, those are fighting words. This next part, just everybody clutch your imaginary pearls right now because this is what the Pharisees do here. They say, how dare you? We are disciples of Moses, not this guy. And God spoke to Moses, we all know that, but who is Jesus? We don't know where he came from, we don't know what he's about. He definitely didn't get God speaking to him like Moses did. And then this guy says, you don't know where he came from, but he opened my eyes and you didn't, is what he's saying there. That He's like, I, you got Moses, but I got this guy and he did what you couldn't do. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just because you don't think I'm worthy doesn't mean I'm not worthy of notice for God. God wouldn't heal a sinful person and yet here I am healed. If this guy weren't from God, then he couldn't do these things, so maybe you're wrong. Just gonna throw it out there, Pharisees. Maybe you're wrong about some things. Well, that was it for them. The Pharisees kick him out of the synagogue. That's it, he's out. He's excommunicated. He's out of the the chosen group. He's out of the community. Before I go on, I want you to just take a moment and notice how this man is viewed in the story. Suspicion, anger, doubt, and disbelief. Notice not one person ever celebrates not one person ever says, oh my gosh, are you serious? You can see? What is it like? Congratulations, this is amazing. Let's throw a party. Let's do something to celebrate. Not once. This detail fairly broke me this week. Not even his parents celebrate. And it made it more clear that this story is not about his healing at all because if it were then when he is healed he would have been welcomed back into society he would have been brought back into the community and instead he is not believed he's questioned he's gaslit until they have a reason to kick him out because keeping him on the outside is a lot easier than the pr- prospect that they might be wrong the pharisees have this gut reaction fear response And while we like to scapegoat the religious leaders, I fully understand them here. It is so hard to open our doors, our community, our relationships to people who aren't like us, who we don't quite understand, who don't look like us or worship like us, or who might make us question the way we have always done things or even cause us to question what it is we believe It's much easier to just keep them on the outside using the excuse of the safety of the community when anyone with a bit of sense can see that this formerly blind man is a threat to no one but the rules the Pharisees hold on to so tightly. I'm going to let you apply this yourself. I feel like it's really clear about some ways we can apply this to our current, modern, Right now, cultural fights about people we're so scared of, we just pretend they don't exist because we're so worried when they are threat to no one. This story is about the community, the community who can see, who are not blind, cannot perceive God in their midst. So the one who was blind will be healed, now able to see, to help them perceive, and they still can't do it. This is the story. It's all about community. It has nothing to do with healing or disability. This is why Amy Kenny, in particular, but many disability activists have taught me to read this story very differently. She once said that disability justice affirms the unique qualities of each body and stresses that nobody disabled or otherwise, is inherently worth more than another. This sounds very similar to the notion of co-flourishing and that idea of there being goodness between us and healing created when we have a community that is actually with and for one another instead of trying to erase or eradicate one another. What Jesus is doing in healing people is allowing for barriers to be torn down. That is beautiful. It's not that Jesus is trying to fix someone, but he is trying to heal the system that leaves someone on the outside. When we see the blind man as a problem to be fixed, we miss the point of this story entirely. When we see someone only by their disability, or worse, when we assume their sin is the cause of disability, we miss the person altogether. The blind man was the only person who encountered God in this story. And he did it before he was healed. He encountered the living God before he could see. When we make this story about healing, we too miss an encounter with God. Everyone bears God's image. The community is better fuller, more whole, when everyone is included in it, even those we don't understand or those we are afraid of or those we disagree with. So what happens next? Well, in a surprise move to literally no one, Jesus does not go to the synagogue to congratulate the Pharisees on a job well done, keeping everybody safe and those rules in perfect order. Jesus hears the man has been kicked out of the synagogue and he goes to find that man. Jesus seeks him out. and When he finds him, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man says, who is the Son of God? Tell me so I might believe in him. And Jesus says, you've already seen him and you are speaking to him. And the man said, I believe. And he worships. So then Jesus says, I came so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is a very confusing sentence, I get it, which sounds a little bit like a threat, right? Like, is, are we being threatened by Jesus here? Uh, it's only a threat if you think blindness is bad, but this is not about the blind man. This is about community and the healing of community, the wholeness of community by full inclusion of every person, I remember way back, I know it feels like forever ago, it was so much text, so many, so many, so much text, so many verses, and I said it's not supposed to end here. Well, this is where chapter 9 ends, which again, if we end here, we miss Jesus' explanation of what the heck just happened. And it's hard to follow because Jesus actually switches his metaphors here, which is why we often preach chapter 10 on a totally different Sunday in a totally different part of the church year, We call it Good Shepherd Sunday. And chapter 10 begins by Jesus being a gate, a door that his sheep go through when they hear his voice. And even though we put it on a different Sunday, it is the completion of this story, of what we just witnessed in the healing of the blind man. Jesus is the door to a new pasture, a new field, a new community for the blind man. He heard Jesus' voice before he saw his face, and he listened to that voice, and in doing so, was restored to community. Jesus is contradicting the Pharisees, reminding them that their hardline adherence to the rules and the way things are supposed to be is not a door, it's not what will lead them to new life. Jesus is the door. And following Jesus means we might have to let go of a few things we've been holding on pretty tightly to. I always lament that the community around the man born blind acts in ways that feel very much opposite of God, even though I think they would label themselves as faithful. I lament when I hear this story because I see myself in them. I see our modern church communities in them too. We can't see past what keeps people on the outskirts. We can't perceive that God might work outside of the way we expect. When we feel threatened, we yell and contract and grow tighter within our walls instead of leaning in and learning from each other. Jesus ends the whole story by calling himself a door, a gate. And not any door, but an open door. He ends this whole story by reminding them that, and us, that he is the way we learn how to do this in the world. By listening, paying attention, following, and bringing everyone into community and wholeness, yet again. This story has never been about the blind man it has always been about the healing and wholeness of the whole community and we are in that process right now the move towards wholeness we are working on it we are not perfect at it but we are working on it and part of that involves us opening our eyes perceiving those on the outside and inviting them in So we have been called we have been fed and now we are sent we have been filled and now we are sent to go bring the good news that there are no outsiders in the family of god out to a world who needs to hear it so do we now go in peace to love and serve the lord